0: Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church-planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Starting a new series. I mean, I'm excited. and I think partly because... uh, Back in the day, I used to look after the finances for the church. So this kind of like topic always, you know, oh, let's call Andy, let's bring him on stage. Um, You know, not that I could communicate, I just knew something about numbers. But I didn't. I remember years and years ago being invited to look after the finances. And honestly, the only reason why I was a student at the time was because in the house that I lived in, there was three others. And basically, I organized the bills, you know, and electric, gas, that kind of thing. And we had to divvy it out. You know, there's three people plus me, four, divide it by four and tell everyone their bill. That was it. Like it wasn't some sort of mathematical genius. I mean, our current person who's looking after finances, he is something else. I don't know if you've seen the film A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe. Oh yeah, you've seen it. He's got more on on Russell Crowe, I tell you. The formulas that he can create, like there's more characters, not not like just numbers. I mean, like there's letters, there's then like little asterisks and things that are going on. And it's amazing what he can do with a spreadsheet. So um, it's good that he's leading and taking over that area of church life. Um, But there's another reason why, I guess, money and finances, it's significant for for our life. And um, and I want to share a little bit of a story with you. But I guess, for for Anna and myself, coming to Global and hearing some of this teaching from Dave and Shelly, from other leaders, has absolutely changed the course of our life. Like, it's not just like it been a little kind of shift. Probably when we first heard it, that's what it was, just a, a couple of degrees you know, sometimes you've got those protractors when you're at school. I don't know if you remember those like semicircle things and one degree is just like a tiny thing, two degrees, a little bit more. But if you kind of carry on that trajectory, you know, fast forward a distance, you know, if you just change that, if you're trying to get sail from, a, you know, ferries going from Southampton or where it would be to, to New York, you change course by maybe two, three degrees. You won't, you won't end up in New York, you end up in Miami. And a few more degrees, you might end up in the Caribbean. But, it's amazing what, when you start to grab hold of some of this teaching, it can do for your life. And it's, 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 it's to the point where I look today at my life and think, this is way beyond what I could have asked, dreamt, or imagined. And it's come from some of this teaching. So I want you to, I mean, lean in. We don't actually say that at all in global, but, you know, listen up, you know. <laughs> peel back, you know, whatever's, uh, you know, clogging the ears. Um, and, and you might look at our lives now and think, well, actually it's, uh, you know, maybe Andy and Anna, they've just, you know, they've got some good pedigree, their families, and our families are great. But honestly, we did not come to York as students thinking we were going to do what we're doing today. And I'm sure for many of us, there's loads of things that have taken us by surprise. But I want to just share two pictures of life, one from present day and one from uh, 10 years ago. So presently, Anna and myself, we're we're blessed that we've got two fantastic nurseries, children's nurseries, looking after hundreds of kids every day. Uh, loads of staff work for us, which is fantastic. And really and truly, it's the staff, it's our team that are phenomenal, right? I can't really hold, you know, give too much credit because I'm not in the rooms when the babies are crying and the kids are like running around in circles, spraying mud, fa- sand, and paint everywhere. That's why I've got to stay out and not see that stuff. Otherwise, I'd be like, oh, pain's in the chest with the building that we built. But... Um, <laughs> But those, the team that we have on the ground are phenomenal, and some of them are here today, and you should chat to them, because they are incredible. If you're looking for a nursery, you should check it out. <laughs> Little plug, there you go. And if you're not looking, you should, no, no, just go. Anyway, but they're exceptional. But we also, we have a couple of Airbnbs, and one of them is located in our home, and we you know, when we moved into our home, uh, we, we never really believed it. Would, we just thought maybe a few race weekends it would bring. But it's, it's currently very full packed. Uh, we have another Airbnb. Our home we renovated um, a couple of years ago, and it's fantastic. It sit within, sat within eight acres of land. Um, there's some builders that's still trying to work out how we can squeeze how many houses in that? <laughs> how much money could, uh, could we, we make together? <laughs> but um, it's amazing. And then we're also, uh, we have a couple of buy-to-let properties as well one of which my parents are able, were able to move to York and move into so that my, uh, my family could be closer to hand. My dad's going through a few health challenges at the moment, so that's been amazing. And then even more recently, we're hoping to buy a property down south uh, in Cornwall, St. Ives, a bit of a childhood dream for Anna and even myself. And that's been about two years. It might, it's still not quite def- definite, but we're hoping that will come through. And so there's lots of stuff going on. And it's, uh, it's unreal when I think back. So if I had to, to just rewind, um, you know, just 10 years, 10, 11 years, the situation looked a bit more like this. I was living in a terrace house. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a house share or whatever. I was in one small bedroom. They were damp in most corners of the room, not because of the landlord. It was just because I didn't open the window and let fresh air through, you know, young lad uh, at university. There was, there was water, you know, gathering, condensing on the inside of that single glazed, uh, you know, window. The, f- the heating was, like, so expensive to run, we just turned it off. We thought, let's just put extra layers on at night, you know, a sleeping bag and the duvet, and then we'll save some money freezing ourselves, to, you know, to sleep. We didn't really, but, you know, it was cold. It was freezing. We were like, don't turn that heating on. You have to, like, get permission. <laughs> um, we even had a point where I remember water, like, dripping through in the living room, where the, the fitting, the light fitting was, and not really, reason. Really, I should probably turn that off now, um, from the leaking shower upstairs above, and we had work having to get done to that. We had a TV And this was amazing. I mean, I still, uh, just even thinking back to this moment, we bought a TV, a flat-screen TV, for 10 pounds. Now, when I say flat-screen, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, modern-day, flat, thin kind of body. No, I mean that the screen itself was flat. I don't know if you remember, showing my age, but they used to be, you know, curved, weren't they? This was a flat screen, but it was about as deep as it was wide. It was, it was 10 pounds, I'm sure, because the guy couldn't move it himself and just needed someone to take it out. And we bought it for 10 quid. I think we put it in a, one of the church vans, and it, it, we were freaking out because I think it did fall over. But it was all right. It was built like a tank. Um, you know, I remember eating, uh, you know, I think food-wise, it was like smash, you know, that you know, powdered potato, and then like sausages in a tin. Like, do you remember that stuff? Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, that wasn't me. That was Ben, our housemate. Uh, he now lives in London, leading one of the church plants. He's probably got the best diet out of everyone who lived in the house now. But back then, he was, he was dreadful. I mean, even I, I didn't stoop that low. <laughs> smash. I'm sorry if you guys have smash. But um, student, you've got to get through. And then this is even getting married, you know, not having money for a car. And this is one of my fa- not favorite memories, but very clear memories, is cycling to Tesco's. You know, we used to live in Acombe uh, off uh, near... Near the uh, what used to be the Edmund Wilson swimming pool, now Lidl, and uh, cycling down Thanet Road to Askin Bar Tesco's, and it wasn't that. It was the cycling back with about 20 bags, you know, 10 on each of your handlebars. Anna as well. She didn't get out of this. Oh no, no, no. She was there behind me, and then me with like a, an 18 roll of Tesco value toilet paper stacked between my chin and the handlebars. Which sounds all right, but what you don't know is there's some potholes down that road and when you can't see down, you're just hoping. You're hoping we're not gonna like, you know, and then you're trying to like, yeah. If you've ever put bags on your handlebars and like heavy weight, like milk, you know, washing powder, stuff like that, it's not easy. Um, But I remember that, I remember having an argument uh, like, not just a little argument, I'm talking about like a full-blown, you know, marital, you know, argument about a punnet of strawberries that we put on the, con- on the you know, little, uh, 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 trying to check out. I was like, Anna, no, take it off. She's putting it on. No, take it off. <laughs> like we, we, a punnet, She's like, it's in season. I don't care. We don't have the money. <laughs> We're on about, I think, 12 grand a year was our kind of family income. But that was, that was just 10 years ago, 10, 10 and a bit years ago. And it's amazing when I start looking back on life thinking how much has changed in that 10-year period. And a big part has been obviously centered around this, this kind of the, the, the topic of finances. And we often overestimate what we can do in one year, but we often underestimate what we can achieve in 10. And I want to encourage you because, you know, don't get too disheartened. You know, when, I, when, when you can kind of see the current day reality, you've got to understand that God has been weaving things through throughout it. Like even today, we've got a fr- uh, some friends who live out in Dolby Forest. I've just been rem- I'm just reminded before I get up to preach that going through our build project of one of the nurseries was absolutely critical to helping us get through it and understand how the heck do you build a building, how do you negotiate with different people and different bodies and institutions, like without question whether we'd be stood here today with two nurseries. But the reason, you know, that we got friendship with that was because we started to (laughs) oversee what was back then a connect group, a bit like a dinner party, and that friendship got started. And so God opens up doors. He does miracles along the way. It's never kind of straightforward. If I could go through and share, you know, if I had five hours, I could tell you the journey of the ups and the downs, the absolute atrocities of like where we made mistakes, like we categorically failed. And then, where God was able to turn stuff around. And it's awesome. So, don't be discouraged about your situation today. But here's the thing money or finance are probably some of the most undercommunicated subjects in church, but also in society, especially in Britain. You know, we've got a bit of a downer, I'd think, in success. We think that, you know, if someone's got loads of money or drives a fast car, well, they probably didn't earn it, they definitely don't deserve it. Like, they're probably, you know, they're probably swindling money from the business. They're probably corrupt. Like, business is fundamentally bad and evil, and all these kind of thoughts, it's probably stemmed a little bit from, like, Hollywood. Every James Bond villain is pretty much a multi-bazillionaire who is trying to destroy something or other. But money is not talked about enough. And whatever your take is or whatever your thoughts are about it, you've got to understand that it's essentially, it's something that we can't escape. It's an essential commodity in life. You know, Dave has said in the past that when we have no money, we have no options. When we have a little money, we have a little options. When we have a lot of money, we have a lot of options. And even, I guess you might think, well, the great thing is in our kind of nation at the moment, we do have a state that can help those that don't have the ability to work. So so everyone has some money. But the more money we have, the more options that are available to us. Money is a tool and it's a resource. It's a source of, of power. And we don't often talk like that in church. In Mark 12, verse 30, scripture says, love the Lord your God. This is the most important commandment that Jesus was saying to his followers and to the people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, that word strength isn't just about your kind of your physical muscles. It's actually about the strength in terms of the resource that you have. And that resource is financial, it's emotional. There's probably a little bit of physical as well in that. But really and truly, what's what's the resources that we have available that we can love the Lord our God, worship him with all our heart? You know, um, there's the parable of the good Samaritan. Simply a guy got beaten up, you know, robbed, you know, knocked out, everything stolen from him. And three people passed by him, a Pharisee, uh, a priest, you know, some really good kind of Jewish in the faith people. And then a Samaritan who's like a foreigner, an outsider. But the Good Samaritan was able to, you know, look after him, get him on his donkey, modern-day car, take him to the inn, modern-day hospital, pay for the medicine and the care required for him to get better. Without money, he wouldn't have had the capacity to be the Good Samaritan. Does that make sense? So money is essential. There's biblical characters throughout the Bible from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You know, Abraham had a private army. I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, the bodyguards, you know, where you're going around, and he was able to rescue people in situations. Joseph, we've heard of, you know, who was the prime minister, the most second-in-command to the most powerful superpower in the world at the time. People like King David, amassing wealth and, and resources. King Solomon, Artim being the most rich person who's ever lived on the planet. People from all over the world visiting him to find out what's the secret to your success and it comes back to God, because God wanted to elevate the Israelites. He wants to elevate you and me, so people can look up to us, that we have influence, and that we're, we're not just coming from a place from below, that we can actually be a help, that we can provide. We're not just asking for a handout. It's a real different kind of picture of church. You know, Dave's been fantastic in this. As soon as I remember coming in to church, he'd be talking things like, in in global, we don't really want people to have salaries. We want them to be self-sufficient so that they can resource the church and not be a drain on the church, as in needing a paycheck or a salary, and let the church do things that it can do, like renting buildings, sending people across the world to, to, to talk about church planting. So finances is massive. And you might remember last year, we did a series on true riches. There was like a quadrant, but in that quadrant, one of the areas was finances. And there was also the spiritual, the physical, and also relationships. And all four of those areas of your life are so important, they're so significant, because one of of those areas is impacted negatively. It'll impact the others. Let me just throw some of these stats at you. 40% of us living in the UK have financial worries, and they're closely linked with stress and depression. Stress levels are 380% higher than those without financial worries. Depression, 490% higher than those without financial worries. Here's the interesting one. Individuals earning over 100000 over half of them, 55%, stated that they suffered from anxiety, panic attacks. 53% of them say they suffered from depression. Sleepless nights, quality of work affected. 11 million people run out of money before they get to their payday. Relationships suffer, physical health problems, mental health problems. 22% of adults have less than £100 saved. Most marriages end in divorce are due to, in some part, financial pressures on the couple. It's not a happy picture, but let me paint a better picture. You see, when you have, when we have resources, and you're not worrying about your bank balance, you can have peace, you can have security, options in regards to, I don't have to work there, I can take a pay cut because money is no longer the the big motive of why I need to get that job or get that promotion. You know, it's the capacity to be generous, to be able to give. We have a greater confidence in who we are and what we can give back to society. Our capability grows. We become the head and not the tail. We're able to, to borrow, not just lend. No, we're able to lend, not just borrow. You know, we're called as Christians to be those things. In Deuteronomy 28:12, it literally says, I've called you to lend and not to borrow. You know, God wants us to be in this place as a church, as Christians, as people. He wants the whole world to be there, but it starts with you and me. It's about, and this is the title of the talk, it's about maximum impact, minimum stress. That's what, I'm, that's what I look for, that's what I'm after, and that's what God wants to provide You see, all of us will come with a a way of thinking about money and that will hold us back. So this first week is a lot about trying to address some of the mindsets that you might have, some of the hiccups, the hindrances, the blockages that you have when you think about money. But for God, he wants maximum impact, minimum stress. Picture it. You see someone in need and you think, I'm just going to buy in the food shop for them, the groceries for the week, for the month. You know, you see someone going for a job interview and, you know, you think, I know I'm going to wash the car, take it, get it cleaned, let them borrow my car so they just look presentable. That, that builds their confidence when they go into this interview. You know, you see a couple stressed out with family life right at the early days and you think, I'm going to pay for them to go on holiday. You see someone else who's, you know, maybe someone close in your family and they're just struggling with health issues. And as much as the NHS is great, it's like you're able to afford to get them to some private, quickly get the issue resolved so they can resume a better quality of life. Like we're designed to be blessed to be a blessing. Like we're blessed to be a blessing. But if we're not careful, we just, we put money at arm's length away. We're afraid of it. We're fearful of it. We're worried of it. I remember my background, you know, from from a Christian point of view, it was something that was a bit kind of intimidating. Think, oh no, it's a bit evil. Like money is, is evil. And it's like, no, it's the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. Not money in itself. And actually having to grow and get used to handling money is hard. Like, it's challenging. As much as I love having eight acres of land, you try and find a lawnmower for that kind of thing. It ain't fun. <laughs> and after the first, you know, five hours of mowing your grass, you kind of think, I could do without this. <laughs> so let's get on to some, some points. How do we see that God can supercharge our finances, that he could do more than you could ask, dream, or imagine in this area of your lives? So my first point is this. It takes two legs, right? It takes two legs. There's two parts to where God can pour out his blessing that he can start to do amazing, amazing things in our finances. The first you'll be familiar with, it's generosity. You know, every week we have an offering and that's an opportunity for people to exercise generosity. We use scriptures like Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, you know, that see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there'll be not enough room to store it. You know, in global, we talk about how we would live to give. We want to be that generous, pouring out all the time, being the first people to buy that round of drinks at the bar, you know, being the people to offer the lifts when there's, there's something that, the, that someone needs to lift home. You know, the other leg, though, because we talk a fair bit about generosity, some great teaching that we've gone through, but the other leg is this. It's stewardship. And honestly, it doesn't sound that exciting, but it's so important and it's so uh, powerful when you can start to get into this thing called stewardship. Because here's the thing, you know, if you're generous, but you're not a good steward, God can't give you loads more resources because you won't manage it well. It's a bit like you'd waste it. It would kind of slip through your hands. You know, if you don't know how to, you know, there's a story of the talents in the New Testament. One, t- one man is given one talent, another man uh, two talents, another man five talents. The person, the five grew it to 10. The person who had two grew it to four. The person who had one buried it in the ground. What did God do with the one that was buried in the ground? He gave it to the one who, who t- turned their five to ten. Why would he do that? God's not into like, you know, socialism and equ- equality. He's about, no, I want to put resources where they're going to be well managed, where, th- where, where we as God's children are going to do something with the gifts and the talents that He has given us, with the mind that he's, he's blessed us with. You know, the other side of the coin is that if you're a good steward but not generous, you're tight. <laughs> I mean, it's like Yorkshire is the whole, no, no, I don't want to put that on, but, you know, I have to break through myself, you know, I'm from down south, but having been in York for so long, I feel that it comes upon me, the spirit of tightness, and, uh, you know, the wallet just seems stuck, like there's something like some string attached to the bottom, it just doesn't come out easily or naturally, but, you know, if, if you're tight, why would God want to bless you? Yeah. Consider this, right? God He's all powerful. He's got everything, all the supply, all the provision. We even call him God, our provider, right? And then we've got a world full of need. So many people suffering, struggling without not enough and, and not knowing how to make sense of life. What do you think are, you know, what, what should happen in between God with everything and people with, with not enough? It's you and me in the, in the gap. We're meant to be the river of provision for God to get stuff to his children, we're not meant to be a reservoir like a dam, which builds up all the blessing just for me and mine. So I know we're actually caused to let it flow through us. And the more God can see us being good stewards of letting stuff flow through our hands in a positive sense, managing it well, then God wants to give more to us. He doesn't want to keep it small. He wants to grow and increase your finances he directs the majority of his resources to those who will be good stewards and those who are going to be generous. It takes both legs to be blessed. Genesis 12 verse 2 says, uh, and this is God speaking to Abraham, uh, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I mean, that's controversial. (laughs) Fame, really? Yeah, it says it in the Bible. And you will be a blessing to others. God wanted to bless Abraham so he would be a blessing to others. That people would look up and say, Who is the God that you serve? Who is the God that you follow? There's, to an extent, a degree of envy that should come about with people looking at the church thinking, I'm missing something. When I look at the church, I see people who are like resourceful, they've got peace, they've got security, significance, satisfaction. They're complete. They might not have everything worked out, but there's something about their lives that is attractive. God wants us to be attractive in who we are. You know, Joseph, he he started off as an unattractive little toe rag saying, hey, everyone's going to bow down to me. By the end of it, he's prime minister. God had to journey him from that, deal with character issues, deal with mindsets that was a bit more self-centered to get actually, Joseph, your purpose is to ultimately save millions of people in the world. There's a famine coming, and you can be the person that's going to orchestrate and steward the provision so that millions will not die because of you, because of God Almighty. So that's the first point. It takes two legs. And in as the weeks that follow, we're going to tuck into this thing called stewardship and really kind of get to grips with it. So why talk about money? Number two, the Bible talks a lot about money. 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus said to people talks about money and possessions. You know, it's, it's actually a blessing to give. We don't often think like that. We think, no, 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 it's to receive. And sometimes we get quite focused on like I'm giving to getting. And God's not really wanting to just get stuff to us. He does, but he wants us to understand the purpose for the stuff that he's going to give to us. Yeah. You know, when we give, we're aligning ourselves to what God's like. When we give, famous scripture, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son. He gave. When we give, we're being like God. When we give to others, whether it's giving a smile, giving encouragement, giving a compliment, giving support, giving financially, giving generously of yourself, giving with all you've got, you're being like God. God doesn't restrain. even says in the New Testament, you know if god gave his one and only son surely he will give more you know it's like if he's he's given the most so everything else before that is really easy it's really not that much to ask for because god has given the most precious thing in his one and only son jesus to us you see jesus when he was talking about money to the people in these parables he wasn't trying to get their money and when we do an offering talk you need to understand that we're not trying to get your money. It's not like we need your money. We're desperate for money. Not at all. What we tr- when Jesus was talking about money, he was trying to get their hearts, yeah. right? There's this, you see, the, the teaching or the offering is less about uh, trying to achieve greater wealth than it is about God having your heart. Yeah. There's a scripture in Matthew six twenty one. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. That's where it's, it's gonna follow your treasure. I could tell all of you right now what, where your treasure is or where your heart is. And it's simply by looking at your bank account statement and your credit card statements. Because where you spend your money is, where you, is what you treasure. You know, if you spend lots of money on clothes, then you, you know, appearance is something that's very dear to your heart. If it's on Waitrose food and lovely, like going out to restaurants, then clearly your heart is <laughs> it's with nice food. If it's on holidays, these aren't bad things. If it's spending money to do up at home or whether it's giving to the church, you start to see where your heart is. And it's, it's actually, it's not like we get people's heart in the right place and then they start to give. It's actually, no, we we, we try to help people to give and then their heart follows also. I have a friend uh, years ago and, um, And he invested a lot of money into a company. You know, stocks and shares. I don't know much about it. But uh, I remember it being, it was a big sum. And for him, it was like 95% of all his savings, something. It was a big proportion. Now, as soon as he put that money in the stock, I can tell you that he got really, really, really interested in how that business was performing. Like, before, it was like, oh, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully, the business does well. Um, But when he put the money there, guess what? He was checking the stock Twice, three, four times a day. He was obsessive over it, trying to make sure, because his treasure was there. Where you put your treasure, your heart will be also. You see, giving is less about the impact it has on your wallet, and it's more about the impact it will have on your heart When you give, it's not us trying to extract some sort of resources. God does not need your money. (laughs) And even the church in a corporate sense doesn't need your specific money because God will provide. And if it's not through you, it'll be through someone else. But maybe a real big thing that we'll talk about a bit next week is it's never your money in the first place. But that's the big problem. We think it's our money. The Bible says like, the the earth is his and everything in it. (laughs) You know, we talk about how God gives us the breath of life. He gave us the ability, the mind that allows us to carry out the work that we do day to day that gives us the money that we receive at the end of the month or week to week. But we'll talk about that a bit later. So where you put your money, your heart will shift to there also. But here's what really excited me. was like, so when your heart is aligned with the church, when you start to give to the church, to God's kingdom, to the local church, the Bible talks about it being like the church being the bride of Christ, Right? And when, when, we're, when we're positioned as the bride of Christ, you know, Christ being the groom, it's like that's a pretty intimate relationship. I mean, I had this thought, like, when I got married to Anna on the wedding day, you know, when we're officially playing the role of bride and groom, <laughs> we haven't played it since. <laughs> that's not our kind of game, but um, don't know about you. <laughs> I think we might have sold the wedding dress to pay for the strawberries. I don't know. But, but on that day, oh, my goodness, I... I Tret, that's a Lancashire thing to say. I treated Anna like, you know, princess. Oh, yeah, I looked at her lovingly. I opened the door for her. There was no arguments. It was like, yes, what would you like? You get the food first. My table manners were impeccable. Oh, my word. Like, even, even at the end of the day, I was carrying her, like, up the stairs, through the threshold. That's enough for Sunday morning, right? But I was, the bride and groom is, like, intimate. You want to do the most that you can for one another. And in the same way, God looks at the church and He wants to do more. He wants to give more. He wants to pass more resources through. But it's like, are we going to align ourselves to be in, you know, putting our heart where God's kingdom is and, and putting our money where our mouth is. When we give people the opportunity to give, we're giving people an opportunity to be blessed. And it's so good. Like when I think of all the doors that have opened up over my life, and it's not like one significant. It's like one, and then a few months later, there's another two or three in a short succession. But they, they come from everywhere and anywhere, and that's the power of God's provision. It is not like a slot machine where you put a coin in, and then you get coins out. But it is in the sense like, I'm going to wrap this offering in faith. Yeah. I'm going to send a tithe and put it in and think, I'm believing for something and sometimes it doesn't come in like an obvious transaction back, but it's in an opportunity, a promotion that becomes available. It's someone that recommends you to another company or another workplace, or it's, it's that you know so, your, your, your boss who's been criticizing you somehow leaves the organization, then someone else comes in and they rate you and they respect you and they're helping you develop in your career. God works, you know, opportunities are disguised in overalls, is what Dave says. When we see those opportunities, it's often, in it looks like hard work. But my third point is this, you know, being a blessing. God wants us to be a blessing. God blesses us for two reasons. The first one is that he loves us. Just like, you know, if you've got a kid, you love them, you want the best for them. God looks at each and every one of us and he loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants good things to come to you. Just like when we see our kids as much as they can be little toe rags at times and, you know, pull them hair out. There's also that moment you say, oh, I just love you. And, you know, in those moments where they do something good, you just want to pour out. You, know, you just want to say, yep, 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 I'll give you. I want to give whatever I can. I want you to stand on my shoulders. I don't want you to fail. I want you to succeed. And we, that's how we treat our kids. And in the same way, God, who is a good heavenly father, looks at each and every one of us, and he wants to treat and, and, and look after us and do good things for us. You see, there's nothing wrong to want to live in a nice part of the city or a home that has enough bedrooms for the number of kids that you have, so they don't have to share, or a better school catchment area, or having a dependable car that's going to, you know, provide lifts for your family and others. But here's the thing, the enemy comes and whispers, that's just materialism. That's not, that's not, you should be giving it all up for Christ. And he tries to speak condemnation into the thoughts and into some of the desires that we sometimes have. Like, heck, even I'm you know, I, I get nervous talking about parts of my life because I'm thinking like it can just appear like he's just trying to big his life up, all he's bothered about is properties and houses and whatever else. And it's like, no, it's it's to try and open up an awareness piece of like God wants to do things with us. But I know that there's intimidation thinking the enemy saying, You shouldn't be talking about that. You should probably talk about how you should give all the money away to the poor. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the poor you will have always. Yeah. So when there was a lady who broke open the alabaster jar of perfume that cost a year's salary over Jesus' feet and washed them with her hair. Jesus didn't say you should have sold that to the poor. That's actually what Judas said. You know, we've got such a wrong idea of provision. You know, it's like we think like we couldn't ask for that. And we, we're in a society that does not celebrate that kind of thing either. But he blesses us to be a blessing. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things because he blesses us because he loves us. The second reason, sorry, was he also blesses us to be a blessing. We've said it before. There's a great scripture, 1 Chronicles 4 verse 9. And it's a guy called Jabez, which just means pain. I mean, imagine being called that coming out of the, hey, pain. <laughs> um, I mean, remember the max pain, that was cool. But anyway, uh, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. He had, he, his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. <laughs> so Jabez cried out to the God of Israel oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. I mean, he's basically asking, bless me, enlarge my territory, let your hand be with me, keep me from harm so that I'll be free from pain free from pain, free from being a pain to others. I don't want to be defined that I was a pain to my, to my mother. I don't want to be a pain to the people around me. I want to be a blessing to the people around me. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. It wasn't a bad prayer. It wasn't an evil prayer. <laughs> if it was, why did God grant it? It was because he was an honorable man. He prayed to be blessed so that he would not be a pain to others, so that he could bless others. God heard him and blessed him. It's not wrong to ask God to bless you so that you can bless others. It's, in fact, it's fantastic. It's about how we love our neighbor. Greatest commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Some of those resources. I can't wait for the day. We used to dream about this in in years ago on Global the first person to be able to give a million to the church. A million? That's awesome. That's awesome. Being able to give a million. It's not about how much I want to earn, it's like, look at how much I can give. That's what's powerful that we can be a blessing to those around us. We can love our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. I guess there is a part where you do need to learn how to love yourself before you can learn how to love others. And so being okay with finances, being okay with increase is an important thing. Dealing with poverty mindsets, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the future weeks. Because those things will rob you from the blessing that God wants to give you. Stewarding our finances so that we can meet needs not just blessed for selfish reasons, but blessed for others. The ability to take someone on holiday beyond your own family. Maybe it's providing a deposit for a home, you know, for your son or for your, your friend or your, your close, someone in your life that's struggling. Maybe it's buying a meal for all your friends. Maybe it's bringing the most to a dinner party. Maybe it's, you know, just being that generous and think, I'm not looking for the return. I'm just, I'm just able to give. I want to be good news wherever I go. I want people to see that I'm being I'm going to love my neighbor, and I'm going to use my resources, my strength to love them. It's not just in the kind of the the ethereal thing, but as we start to to do that and exercise those muscles, things happen. Be in the blessing. You see, stewardship gets exciting because we get to choose how to spend the money we've got, how how to allocate it. I know we all hate budgets. I myself am in that camp, and sticking to a budget is even worse. But next week, we're going to look at what is it about stewardship? What is the fundamental premise? What's the foundation for us to be great stewards? Because we'll always struggle if we don't get this foundation in place. And so I want to encourage you, come back next week. But I hope you've, you've caught the heart of the message, which is money is not a bad thing. It's a tool, it's a resource. We don't idolize it, but we do use it. And so there's a maturity, there's a growing that has to go on. You know, that we don't, you know, for us men, You know, we're not just Tarzan in the bedrooms, we're Tarzan in the banks. (laughs) You know that we're strong, we're wise, we've we've put some good, healthy habits into our life, got some structures, some limitations. We put limitations in to actually provide freedom because when you limit in one area, you actually create freedom for another. But to stop and think, what are the areas that I want to have resources for? What are the areas that I want to have strength? What do I want to do? What has God put in your heart to do for people around you? What would excite you? You know, if you got given a million, we often have those conversations. Ah, do this, go around the world, buy my parents, pay off the mortgage, whatever. But what would would you do if God grew your life? What's the vision that God's put in your heart? Because it's there, I guarantee. God didn't design you to be small, meek and mild. He designed you to be who you are, the fullness of who you are. The DNA, it's not an accidental thing, but you know what? The world has damaged it. There's been lies that we've adopted as our own, even from the church. Like, you know, we, we think, oh, no, it, we shouldn't be into money. So many people are struggling financially, all those percentages. Someone needs to be the answer. Someone needs to help them because it's, it's not a value amount either. How much you earn isn't the answer. Like, we always think rich is like twice what I earn. <laughs> Whether you earn 10,000, rich is probably 20,000. But if you're earning 20,000, you probably think rich is 40,000, and so on and so forth. But we can do so much debt is not a uh, it's not a, an issue of numbers it, it's it's a mindset it's a spirit really you know those people earning a hundred thousand still suffering from anxiety panic attacks depression earning more money isn't the answer but getting god's word god's way starting to understand generosity understand stewardship getting both legs working together because if you only got one leg you'll be going around in a circle From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.